we've been on this topic of understanding foundational truths for the believer. We got into it because Jesus told a parable, and he said, this guy who was unethical but shrewd actually understood. He did some things that, that made his life better, and Jesus said about that shrewd, unethical man, manager that he understood how his kingdom worked better than children of the light understand how their kingdom works. So I said, let's deal with some things that are foundational to our kingdom so we know how the kingdom works. And so every week we've been picking a topic to talk about that's foundational to the Christian faith. I want to tell you a story about a, a guy named Lyle Eggleston. Lyle Eggleston was a missionary church planter on the northeastern coast of Chile. And he worked with the people of Chile, and the areas that he was in is very, very, very poor. Now, some of you here today think of yourself as being poor. You're not poor like the poor of most of the rest of the world. You may be poor compared to the people around you and what they make, but you're not poor like most of the people in the world who are poor. And so he worked around those kind of people, super poor. So he planted a church, and, and he got the church going, and it had pretty good numbers coming, and many people had come to know Christ, but they were so poor, there was no way to really function and finance the church. And he didn't really want a church that's just financed by American dollars, but, but it should be self-sustaining. And as a passion, as a church planner, and a missionary church planner, he didn't want to spend the rest of his life in this church. He wanted to get it solid and going and growing and then move on. So he was praying one day because the average offering, month, monthly offering, the average monthly offering of this church that we're talking about in Chile was $6 a month. Okay, so you can kind of understand why, yeah, it would be hard to rent a facility, pay utilities, and hire a pastor at $6 a month. So he, he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, he said, I, I need help. How can we get the church to be financially solvent and be able to handle itself? And by the way, he, like most preachers, believe it or not, when people say, well, all preachers want is your money. I, I have fellowship with 100 ministers at least around the region. I can tell you, I don't know any of them. They're just trying to get your money. In fact, in my experience with churches, it's about the only place you can go without money and still get ministry. After service, we're going to pray for people. And then we're going to ask, I want to see your charitable giving for the year. And then we're going to ask that. They're, they're going to minister to you and pray for you. So he prays that, and uh, a couple weeks later, he's, writing, he's visiting, actually, a, a middle-aged couple in the church that's been faithful at reading the scripture. And, and they say to Lyle, they said, um, we, we came across something in the scripture we don't understand, and we wonder if you could help us. It, it's called tithing. What's tithing? What's the tithe? And he thought, oh, Lord. He thought, I don't want to talk about giving. I mean, these people have nothing. This little family had a few chickens and, and barely could feed themselves and those chickens. So to talk about, well, it's where you give money to the kingdom, uh, he's saying, these people don't have any money. But they persisted and pestered him to where he said, okay, here, here's a a biblical concept of giving in scriptures and what God promises. And he took him to Corinthians, the New Testament verses on giving and setting aside money for the first day of the week and da-da-da-da-da. So they get all excited and say, we're going to do it. And so that coming Sunday, they bring their gift to the Lord. In U.S. currency, it was 19 cents. They brought 19 cents to the Lord. 
And then the following week, they told him, some amazing things happened this week. Our, several of our chickens don't tend to lay eggs, and they were all laying eggs. And we were able to sell some of those and make just a little bit of money. But on top of that, a guy comes by with a cart and says, I need to purchase some manure. And they clean out their chicken uh, sheds and get more money than he dreamed he would get for manure. And so they went, wow, we got some food, some money for food. And his wife had not had, Manuel's wife had not had shoes for months and months and months of any value. And so they got enough money for her to go get some shoes. So she hops on the bus and she goes to another town and she picks out her shoes. But the amazing thing when she got to the store is the store was now owned by a nephew of hers she hadn't seen in five years. And so she gets the shoes and takes them up to the counter. He packs them up and hands them to him and says, hey, aunt, there's no way I can charge you for these shoes. They're yours. You can have them. She's like, wow. And so they decide, we're going to do this. So they're going to give, and they get ready to give again, and they have no food. Now, I know here, here's gen generally the American way of giving. Well, in order for me to give, I'd have to cut back on cable, my investment, my 401K. I'd have to get rid of my cell phone and shut down my Internet, and I'd have to, I'd have to give up my bowling league. And, and this, you know, that's generally the American way of, I just, I just I can't afford it. Here's true poor people's way of giving. They had no food and nothing to eat. But they had a little box that they called their God box, and they put some money in there because they were, Corinthians says, save up some money so on the first day of the week you can give. And so they said, we're just going to take a little money out there to buy food. And they said, no, that's God's money. And they said, guess what? We'll go hungry. Well, guess what God did? kept doing more miracles and more miracles. And then the people of the church were saying, what's going on with your guy's life? I mean, you're, you seem to be getting some traction here financially. Now, mind you, they didn't have, you know, a private yacht or something like that. I'm not telling that story, but they started to have, and this is the biblical definition of prosperity in my mind, they had more than enough. They were able to meet their needs and have more than enough. That will preach around the world. Now, if you want to preach that you've got to have a... a you know, homes dotting the earth and, and this and that. That won't preach around the world. But you can preach that when we give, it'll come back to us in a way that we'll have more than enough so we can bless other people. And so the crazy thing happened. There was a construction that was going to go on in the community, and Manuel got hired on a two-year contract to work every day making a decent income. The people of the church were crazy enough to believe that this biblical principle might work. And they actually put it into practice. And in a short period of time, the church was able to pay their bills, pay their utilities. They actually financed a, an evangelist to travel around to communities, little villages, and preach the gospel, and began to have enough to finance their own pastor. And then Lyle Eggleston could move on to another community and plant a church. It's just kind of crazy to think that God's ways might work. Because we try to figure out how to get God's ways to work in certain circumstances, but God's ways always work. There's a story in the Old Testament that just came across my mind. I think it was Isaac. Isaac's uh, in an area where famine has ravaged the land. There's famine because there's no water. There's no, there's no way to grow crops. The Bible says that Isaac sowed in famine and reaped a hundredfold return. How do you do that? God, but God. 
God's faithful to his word. So, we're going to talk today about the law of sowing and reaping, the law of seed time and harvest. By the way, although the illustration I gave to you was financial, and several things in the Bible are financial, this works for anything. Jesus said this, those who are merciful, they shall find, guess what? Mercy. Mercy. They're going to reap what they sow. They're going, to, they're going to give something, and they're going to get it back, which is, is mercy. There's another verse in James. James says uh, that if we pray for the sick, it says, pray you one for another, pray for the sick, that you may be healed. Isn't that interesting? That's in James, I think, the fifth chapter. Well, it's this, it's this principle, sowing and reaping, the law of sowing and reaping. It's been around since the earth began. We'll see that in Genesis. In Genesis, the scripture says that as long as the earth remains... As long as the earth endures, there will be seed time, sowing, and harvest, reaping. There will be cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. It will never cease. So those of you who are, uh, know that fast approaching is winter, and you think, I'm just praying that this year we won't have winter, it's not going to happen, because we just had that Bible verse, there will be summer and winter as long as the earth endures. So this principle is a foundation of the kingdom. Everything in the kingdom operates on this idea of sowing and reaping. And I don't want us to miss that because it's a life-changing principle. Now, here's something else that people don't like saying because uh, I think the devil's behind it, honestly. Are, are there ministers and ministries that are charlatans and fakes and this and that and all they want your money? Sure, those do exist. I understand that. So then... Preachers get afraid to preach the word because they're afraid they may get lumped in with, with that. Well, I'm not afraid. I've been around long enough, and you all know me long enough to, to know what my heart is, and so I'm going to teach you what the word of God says. The whole idea of seed time and harvest, I want you to hear this clearly. I don't care if you say, I don't have a dime. This couldn't work for me. I, I want to tell you, the whole idea of seed time and harvest is for prosperity, it is for prosperity. It is for abundance. It is for you to flourish. I want you to hear that. I make no apologies for that. That's God's concept. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to abound. Now, here's why. Not so we can build our own little kingdoms. Remember Jesus telling the story about the guy who decided to build his own little kingdom? He had a bumper crop year after year after year. He had another one. He said, oh, my goodness, I got so much goods, I don't know what to do with it. I know, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, that's expensive. I'll build bigger ones, that's expensive. I'll store up in that so that I'll have all these goods and I can eat, drink, and be merry for many years. And the Lord said, you fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who will get that which you have saved up for yourself? Think about that principle. Now listen to this because we, we stop only halfway through the verse. He said, then Jesus says, this is how it will be for everyone who stores up goods for themselves, there's where we want to put a period, but there's no period there. This is how it will be for everyone who stores up good for themselves and are not rich toward God. Are not rich towards God. There's nothing wrong with you having a storehouse of goods, but you need to be rich towards God, need to understand where those goods come from. They come from God. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all who dwell therein. So anything you and I have all came from his gracious hand to start with. And so, 
we are called to prosper and have more than enough. By the way, I know the word prosperity sometimes gets in people's minds. Cars and yachts and planes and homes, you know, in the Caribbean or in, you know, wherever, the Mediterranean. But prosperity is having more than enough so you can be a blessing to others. More than enough so you can be a blessing to others. That's the concept of prosperity. That's biblical prosperity, to have more than enough. Not just to build your own kingdom, but to relieve some suffering from people, to help people, to be a blessing, to advance the kingdom. That's what it's about. When they got enough prosperity to, to sustain that church in Chile, Lyle could go out and plant another church. See what happened? Sustaining that church freed him up to go plant another church to keep the kingdom of God moving. So, that's the idea for prosperity. We need wealth with a purpose. I don't mind if you have nice things. God doesn't mind. The Bible says that he's given everything for us to enjoy. So I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty because you're blessed or you have nice things. But I want you to really check your heart and say, where do my resources go? Because it's kind of interesting that if we were having a missionary come to the church and speak, and your spouse says to you, hey, I really feel like we need to give 50 bucks when that missionary comes in a few weeks. By the way, there's not one coming, just the illustration. And when you go, wow, $50. We, should, we need to pray about that for a week or two before we give $50. But then you walk in somewhere else, and there's something you've been wanting that's normally $100, and it's on sale for 75 and you can buy it like that without thinking or praying. What, what's going on there? We, we, need to, we need to judge our hearts and say, what am I doing with my resources? Nothing wrong with you having things, but you know the old saying, things should not have you. So we need wealth with a purpose. And I want to say this again. There's nothing glorious about poverty. Now, you may say, well, that's not a nice thing to say. It's the truth. Have you ever been poor? Was it beautiful? Did you love it? Absolutely not. If poverty was wonderful and being poor was wonderful, when we saw poor people or people in poverty, we'd say, praise the Lord. That's awesome. We're so happy for them. We're doing our best, I hope, to try to relieve poverty because we say poverty's bad. Being poor is not good. I don't know about you. I've been poor. It wasn't good. I didn't think, whoo, I can't wait to stay here. No. I, what I had to learn was I'll be content where I'm at today, but I'm not staying here. You know, I, I want to move on. And so, you, you sure you're content? Sure, you're thankful, all that to the Lord, but you're saying, hey, I'm going to move on because when you're poor, and I've been there before, so if you're here today poor, I'm not picking on you, don't want you to be shamed about that. When you're poor, you can't help anybody. And if you have a heart for the Lord, you want to help. You want to relieve suffering. You want to help people out. You, you want to give somebody some gas money. You want to help a missionary when they come in. You want to, but you look in your purse or your billfold and there's nothing there. You just feel like, oh, man. So we need to increase. Now be careful, because I remember a young couple was in our church, and they had very little. They were barely getting by. I always say, I, I used to have this problem. You ever have more months left at the end of your money? You know, the, the, the goal is to have money left at the end of the month, but I always had more, not always, but for a while in my life, I had more months than I had money. It's not a good place to be. So we had this young couple in the church, and they were talking about, you know, the law of sowing and reaping and giving. And, and uh, I remember Darlene talked to him and said, you know, God will bless you for that. It's just it's, it's a divine principle. So he said, we're going to do it. And they were all excited. And Darlene said, beware. 
Because if you do this, you will prosper and you will increase. And one day, you'll start to write a check, a charitable check, and you'll go, that's a lot of money. I mean, do we really have to give this much money? I mean, we could do a lot with this money. When you're charitable giving six bucks, you realize there's not a whole lot you can do with six bucks. Well, you can get one gallon of gas now, but that's about it. And, but when your charitable giving's $100 a, a week, you start going, $400 a month, we could upgrade everything in our lives. We could upgrade our cars, we could upgrade our home, we could upgrade our vacations, we could upgrade our, our food, we could upgrade everything. Well, one day they came in, they said, Darlene, it happened. And I, she said, what happened? She said, it happened. God's blessed us. He's prospered us. We're doing better than we ever dreamed we'd be doing. We whipped out the checkbook. That's back in the day. For those of you who are younger, this little piece of paper that you used write on. And we whipped out our checkbook, and we started to write our giving, and we went, that's a lot of money. That, that's a lot of money. But they said, no, we were warned about this. We were warned about this. And so they were faithful in their giving. God continued to bless them. But there's a, a trial by fire sometimes. But the good thing is, is you could say, Lord, this is way too much money to give. Would you please take me back to where my giving was $6 a week? And then you go, no, that's fine. I'll just go ahead and write this check out. So it will work. We will grow. Now, people will say inaccurately, and I want to say this. People will say inaccurately, it's bad Bible teaching, that Jesus was poor. I want you to notice, he was not poor. Now, I know you're going to say, I've heard all my life he was poor. I thought Jesus, didn't Jesus tell people, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head? Yeah, what he was telling people was, I have a traveling ministry. You don't get to go home every night and hang out with family and have a nice meal, and go to bed early, and, and no, we're, it's traveling ministry. It's, it's not always that fun. I have friends who are evangelists, and they're like staying out 200 nights a year in a hotel, and I was, oh, I would hate that. I would hate that. It's not a wonderful thing. You say, well, I thought he was poor. Let me tell you some things about Jesus. Jesus had a treasure. I want you to know this. First of all, I've been in organizations that didn't have a treasure. And you know why they didn't have a treasure? There was no money to treasure. There was nothing to, they, they didn't feel like, let's, let's assign a treasure for the $2.12 we have. So there was a treasure. The treasury had enough money in it that a guy named Judas could steal from it and not get caught. Now, if you got six bucks in your, your pouch and a Judas takes five, you notice that. We had six bucks yesterday and we only got, you know, one buck today. So somebody got in there. Another time, you can do this what you want. But this is how I see it. Jesus is getting ready to feed a large multitude of people, or at least they're coming to it. Actually, the disciples say, Jesus, send the people away because there's no food to feed them, and they're getting weary and hungry. Send them away to their surrounding cities and villages that they can get something to eat. And Jesus says to them, you feed them. So what he says, and they don't say, there ain't no way we could feed them. They actually ask this. I can't remember if they said it would take a half a year's wages or a year's wages. I don't remember, but you'll get the idea of the story. We'll say it was a half a year. They said, it would take a half a year's wages to get enough food to feed all these people. Is this what you want us to do? That's what they said. Is this what you want us to do? It appears to me that they were saying, we will go get the treasury, and we'll go to the city, and we'll spend a half a year's wages to feed these people if that's what you want. So the treasury was pretty good. Now, did, was 
Jesus affluent in, in the sense of, I got to have the best of everything, and I got to have a royal stallion that I ride on. No, I don't think he cared about that. But he was so good, he said, there ain't no need to tap in the treasury. Now, here's a really rich person. There's no need to tap in the treasury. Just bring me what you have. He blessed it and multiplied it and fed everybody and didn't take a dent out of his bank account. That's prosperity like I haven't ever experienced, but that's prosperity. Also, there was a time where he was supposed to pay the temple tax, and Jesus said this. He said, first of all, there's no reason I should ever pay the temple tax. He said, the temple belongs to my father and to me. He said, do the kings of the earth, do their children pay taxes? And they said, no. He said, but to not offend anyone, Peter, go cast a line and you'll catch a fish. Pull the gold coin out of its mouth and pay my taxes and yours. I don't know about you, but to me, that's rich. If I had to make a payment on something, I say, I don't have the money here in my hand, but I'll just go wet a line and next thing you know, I'll have plenty of money to pay the bill. That's blessed. That's prosperous. Now, someone could quote the verse that says, and it's rightfully so, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us that Jesus became poor. Say, aha, we got a Bible verse where Jesus became poor. You said he wasn't poor. Bible says Jesus became poor. Poor is a relative term. Jesus left the glories of heaven. Remember the streets up there? They're gold. I don't know how many dimensions operate in the universe, neither do our scientists. But Jesus operated in every one of them. He left heaven, clothed himself in a human body. And for the first time in his life, he knew what it was like at the end of a long day to be tired, to have to stop and take a break. He knew what, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, he knew what it was like after working a hard day. And uh, he'd go, what's that smell? And he'd go, that's me. Yeah, he knew what that was like. He knew what it was like to be hungry and thirsty and all those things. He never experienced that before. He became poor in, re in regard to that. Now, if somebody wanted to say, but I'm not going to let loose of that verse, Jesus became poor. Well, then go ahead and grab the whole of the rest of it. And Jesus became poor that we might become rich. So, see, I think I'm rich. Now, you could say, eh, somebody actually asked me, as a, they had a reason for asking it, they weren't nosy about what my net worth was. And I said, well, it's a little embarrassing, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And there was a purpose for them asking. And yet you might say, well, then you're not rich. I'm telling you right now, I am rich. He became poor so I could become rich. I have the glory of God, the glory of heaven. I have peace and joy and health and happiness. I have all that. I am rich. And rich isn't in the kingdom. Who's got the largest bank account? Now, again, I'm thrilled if you've got a huge bank account. I don't want you to feel guilty about that at all. I just want you to say that's not how riches is judged in the kingdom. So I am rich. I was in Haiti. I was 20 years old, lived with my parents. Little Haitian guy, about, well, he's about my age at that time. He said, brother, you are rich. I said, I'm not rich. He said, you're rich. He said, do you have a car? I said, yes, I do. I said, in fact, everybody in the family has a car, and it looks like a car lot when everybody comes home at the end of the day. And so he started talking about things. When he was done, you know, I said to him, I am rich. And I opened up my suitcase and gave away everything in it because I was rich. Rich people can do that. I was rich. And you know, everything I gave away, I didn't miss it. It wasn't like I went, oh, I have nothing. I was going back home 
to a room full and a closet full and a dresser full of stuff. I am rich. I never, this is going to shock you, I never miss a meal. Now, I know you're going, there's no way. As trim as you are, you have to miss some meals. I never miss a meal. Now, let me say this. If I do miss a meal, it's by choice. It's not by lack. It's by choice. If you are not wondering why you're sitting here right now, what am I going to eat today? Will there be any food for me to eat today? Not where am I going to eat, what, which one of my 12 restaurants am I going to pick for? I, I don't know that I'll have anything to put in my mouth today for sustenance. If you're not worrying about that today, let me say something to you. You are rich. You are rich. So Jesus wasn't poor like we think of being poor, but he did leave the glories of heaven, clothe himself in a human body, and that was pretty poor compared to what he had before. The only kind of poverty I know that has purpose is people like Lyle Eggleston, who left his home and family and well, he took his family with him, but jobs, money, and all of his opulence, and he went to a poverty-stricken area of, of Chile to plant churches. He was poor in comparison to what he was before, but you know what? It's the only poverty I say it has purpose. There's some purpose behind that. He laid those things aside just like Jesus did. It, what poverty Jesus experienced was with a purpose, and if we do that, I get that. So we're going to look at four verses today and hub around here. And just see, what does God say about this? 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 11. Okay, can everybody see? It's up here on the screen. Would you read the first four verses with me out loud or with enthusiasm? Or first four words. First four words. Are you ready? And God is able. Don't miss that. And God is able. Able to do what? God is able to bless you how? Abundantly. They say, well, what's that mean? Well, let's read on. So that in, what's the next two words? All things at, next two words, all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I'm just reading to you the Bible. I, I really hope it doesn't make you angry today that we're seeing what the Bible says about this. God is able to bless you abundantly so that all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. See the purpose of our prosperity? They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. These verses are all about money. These verses, if we read the whole chapter, and by the way, there's three of you out there who would love it, and I would too, you know, if we just said, let's just spend a couple hours just tearing apart that chapter. The rest of you go, no, I'll come back next week, you know, talk about next week. But that whole chapter is Paul has taken up an offering for the poor in Jerusalem. Not for himself, for the poor in Jerusalem. And he's taking up an offering, and he says, before we get to this verse, if you sow little, you will reap little. Now, you could say, well, that doesn't seem very nice. Is that not true agriculturally? If you sow little, if you have a 1,000 acres and you sow one acre, then expect a one-acre harvest. You will get back much more, than you, much more than you sowed, but you will not experience the abundance if you sowed more. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. That just makes all the sense of the world. And we have all people in the Midwest, I'd understand this. It's an agricultural truth. The more you sow, the more you reap in when it comes to the plant world. So, 
He goes on to say, now he who supplies, the he here is God. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. I have to stop there for a second because your seed to make the initial investment came from God. Don't forget that. Well, I don't want to give any of my money. I don't want to give any of my time. I don't want to give any of my joy. I don't want to give any of my peace. Guess what? It all initially came from God. So you're not doing some magnanimous thing. We say, yes, I, I helped someone. Really? Okay, well, everything you have came from God to start with. So you're just letting go of something that God gave you. So don't miss that. Now God, who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, which a few weeks ago we looked at Isaiah 55.10, and that's what he said. He said, my word will go out of my mouth, and it, it won't come back empty. It's like rain that waters the earth, doesn't return back until it produces seed for the sower and bread for the eater. It says, now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply, and what's the next word? Increase your store of seed. Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with the farmer having a bumper crop and increasing his store of seed. All would have been well with him, honestly, if he would have said, oh my goodness, I've had another, another bumper crop. What am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll help people. I'll give some away. I'll take care of people. There's nothing wrong because here it even says God's going to supply and increase your store of seed. So God's going to increase your store of seed. Darlene and I decided to be givers when we had very little to give. But if we had a five, we would give it. And then it became more, and then it became more, and then it became more. And we talk all the time. I want to increase our giving. And not just the church. We, we give a minimum. I mean, people argue about the tithe all the time. So I don't care. We give a minimum of 10% to this place of worship right here. And I don't know how much money we give elsewhere around other people. And that's not bragging on me because, in fact, if it was bragging on me and you went, he's amazing, then I just got my reward. The Bible says you just got your reward in full. If that was your motivation, you just got your reward in full. My motivation is to teach you how this stuff works. I was one day, and that's another thing that's going to shock you, on a treadmill. I know you're going to say, well, seriously? I was on a treadmill. I still remember it so vividly, and I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, give this certain amount of money to, to Crossroads, to the church. And by the way, I know we're pastors, but we don't give it and then get it back. You know what I'm saying? We don't go and say, hey, we gave a big offering today. Can you bring that check out of there and hand it to me? And so I went to Darlene and I said, I really felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, give this certain amount of money. And she's a giver too. She said, that's fine. But I never put a pencil to it. I put a pencil to it. It was 17% of our gross income. 17%. And by the way, we did other charitable giving on top of that. 17% of our gross income. And then it was about two years later, I'm looking over my giving. I'm going, oh my goodness, that 17% is now only 10%. Now, the only way that happens is that you increased. You prospered. You increased. God, that's God's method for increasing us. So... I don't want to hold you down to any amount. I want to say, ask God and, and be generous. I'm always waiting for this, because this is going to be an exciting day, um, in the book of Acts, because sometimes people come and say, I, I, just, I just don't think tithing's New Testament, and, and that's not my teaching today, because I think there's a whole lot of stuff that, that New Testament believers excel and exceed in everything. God's, Jesus said that. He said, you've heard it said, because the law would say this, and Jesus would take it to a whole other level higher. He'd say, but I say to you, and he'd take it to a level higher. Peter thought he was bragging when he said, hey, you know, how much should we forgive people? Like seven times? Because he knew the Jewish law was three. So he was trying to be impressive. Hey, you know, I, I mean, should I forgive seven times? And Jesus said, I got one for you. How about 70 times seven? 
every day. Oh my gosh, Jesus always takes a level higher. And so when you give, God will take it higher. But in the book of Acts, there's always, there's a cool, lots of stories like this where people would sell a field and they would give all the money to the church. So just, I was waiting for a hand to go up. I'll, I'll do it, brother. I'll do it. Okay. No, no takers. Okay. I'm just messing with you. Another thing, too, somebody tries to lie about selling their field and giving it all. And here's the cool thing about it. Peter said to them, said, you didn't have to give it all. That was your field to do with what you wanted. But you lied. You lied to the Holy Spirit. So, so do you get the idea that's not a fixed principle? They wanted everyone in the congregation to go, oh, they're so incredible. They're so amazing. And they lied. It was theirs to do with what they wanted to at that field. They didn't have responsibility. They had to give it all to the church. But they lied. Okay. Let's move on. So God's going to increase our store of seed. He's going to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I believe the kingdom's going to get advanced, just like the early story we talked about. You will be enriched in how many ways? So are your friendships going to be better? Your health? Your, your peace? Your joy? It says every way. Now this is the NIV translation. The NIV was rewritten not rewritten, but updated in 2011. And they really did some great changes to it. But they changed this verse here. And I like the old one better because just for me it has more impact. It said, here's the way it used to read. You will be made rich in every way. See, that has more impact to me. Because when I hear enriched, I think about Wonder Bread. It's enriched. It's been given chemicals and this, and it's been given something because they took everything out of it. So I gave it something back in here. This, this means enriched means made rich. It's a good translation. We'll, you'll be enriched in every way. Here it is. Here it is. Are you ready? I will tell you this. When you get excited about giving, this part of the verse will excite you. This, this part will excite you. Now, at first, you may start to give, yeah, sure wish I had a car that didn't break down every other day. That's okay. I mean, I mean that. God is concerned about that. And so you can give and You'll increase, and you can get a car that don't break down every other day, and that's fine. But there'll come a place where you say this. Wow, I really like this part of the verse. You'll be, made, you'll be enriched in every way so that, here's why, you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What he meant by that is I'm going to take this offering back to poor people in Jerusalem, and they're going to rejoice and praise God, and they're going to thank God for you, and your generosity, and that's what's going to happen. You're going to get a buzz out of, out of being generous. It's going to actually fulfill you. And, and, and I'm telling you, you've got to start at whatever level you're at. You say, but I, I, if I was going to be generous, it'd have to start with $2. Then start with $2. Well, I know people will give $1,000 away, but if you can't, you can't. So you give a dollar, you give whatever. I've told the story before, so I won't repeat it. I'll repeat it in short method. We were on a mission uh, retreat to a church with a bunch of people. We were doing ministry, and when we were getting ready to leave, I told Darlene, I said, I honestly don't know if we have enough gas to make it home. Now, you wouldn't have known that to look at us, and we don't ask for help or beg or get sorrowful or anything like that. And somebody came up to me that was part of that team and said, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to give you this and gave me a $20 bill. That $20 bill was huge to me. $10 would have been huge. He didn't have to give me... 100 or 500 or 1,000, that $20 put gas in the car, allowed us to get 
uh, burger and fries on the way home, and that was huge. So don't underestimate your $5, your $2 could be life-changing to somebody. So you don't have to wait until, I ah, just now that I've increased so much, I'm going to start giving, because there's another deception. I hear it on occasion. Tracy, I'm telling you what, man. When my ship comes in, this church will be taken care of. When my ship comes in, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You probably won't. I'm not trying to be mean, you probably won't. I love the heart that you feel that way, but you've got to start practicing where you're at right now. Because if letting go of $5 is big, let's pretend that you got a million dollars tomorrow. And you said, well, we could start with that minimum Old Testament thing of the tithe. Well, I don't know if your math is pretty good, but that's $100,000. If you can't, they can't pry a $5 bill out of your hand, wait till you try to write a check for $100,000. I can't, well, maybe, 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 maybe we won't have to do all that. But we're waiting for a ship to come in, and that is ultra-optimism, because most of us who are waiting for our ship to come in have never sent our ship out. We've never sent it out. That phrase actually has a meaning. Back in the day when ships like you would see of Christopher Columbus or the pilgrims on, there would be wealthy merchants who would come, and they would invest a lot of money, staff, crew, people, ships, and they would send them out to exotic places around the world. And they were going to come back with spices and and golds, and copper, and different things like that, their ship was going to come back. So they would estimate approximately how long. By the way, the ship was loaded with money because they're going to exchange money for all these items. And so they would come out to the docks, and they would look, guess what, to see if their ship came in. Because they knew if their ship came in, whoo, they're going to have some money. And so they, were, they had invested time, energy, money, ship, everything, and sent it out, they had cast their bread, their money upon the waters, and they were hoping for it to return. But they invested. There's no ship coming in for me at the docks. I could go out and say, I'm looking for my ship to come in. They'd say, did you send one out? No, I did not. Okay, well, there ain't no ship coming in for you then. There's nothing coming in. So we start making investments in people's lives, helping, blessing people, even if it's a dollar, even if it's 50 cents, I don't care. I know you've heard me tell the story, but I love it. The guy had nothing. He popped a button off his shirt and put it in the offering plate. You know what I love about it? He did something. He said, I'm trying to do something. And God gave him back 100 buttons. That was a joke. I don't know if you even heard it. I said, God gave him back 100 but Okay, it's bad when you have to egg the congregation on to laugh. Okay, thank you for your courtesy laugh. I appreciate it. So... Don't let yourself slide when it comes to giving. Again, you say, well, I'd have to quit doing this or quit doing that. I guarantee you didn't have to quit doing what the people, Manuel and his wife, had to do, not eat. They said, we're not going to eat. So here's a biblical truth. You're going to reap what you have sown. Don't be fooled. God will not be mocked. As a man sows, so shall he also reap. Now, most of the time, it's a really scary thing because we know what we have sown. <laughs> and we go, whoo. Okay, so today, I'm not joking about this. You're a believer. You've done wrong things. You've sown wrong things. You've sown to your flesh. You've sown to sin. You've, you've been, done bad things. Today's your day to say, now as a believer, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
And you can just say a little prayer to God and say, God, I'm asking for crop failure right now that I won't, I won't get the harvest back off of all I've sown. And I believe that's a legitimate prayer because we've all done things that we say, okay, I don't want to return on this investment. But then we start living our lives to where that phrase, you're going to reap what you sow, becomes a great phrase. We say, I can't wait till I start reaping what I sow because you're sowing good stuff and you're sowing love and you're sowing hope and you're sowing joy and you're sowing friendship. It's just a principle. I just, when I said friendship, it's another one. The proverb says, if you want to have friends, show yourself to be friendly. What's he saying? You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to get that back. So give it away. Jesus said, if you're merciful, you'll get mercy. Sow mercy. Genesis states that everything reproduces after its own kind. So I don't want you to think that, well, I'll just uh, give some kindness and then my bank account will grow. Because kindness will reap you kindness. Genesis 1 says everything reproduces after its own kind. No farmer here has ever sown a cornfield and then came out later and went, oh my goodness, I got wheat. How unusual. You don't get wheat if you sow corn, you get corn. If you're raising cattle, you don't look out one day and say, wow, they all had sheep. I now got a bunch of sheep. No, everything produces after its own kind. So as I sow my finances, no matter how little it is, I don't care if it's 19 cents a nickel, I hope you hear this, just start practicing because this is a foundational principle of the kingdom of God. So kindness, you'll reap kindness. Give and it will come back to you in like manner. Now, I want to say this about our God because he's awesome. You may say to yourself, Tracy, I've had a lot of blessings in my life, and I did not deserve them. I didn't sow good things, and I got good things. So I'm not so sure your message is accurate because I've sown a lot of ugly stuff and got some good stuff in return. Well, that's the goodness of God. That's how good God is. God tells us. Jesus told the story. He said, he said God, our God is so generous it's in Matthew 5, that he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. So there's an atheist out there who's cursed God and says he's a joke and laughable, who's going to have a great harvest this year. Okay, that's God's mercy. That's God's goodness. That's God's kindness. In fact, the scripture tells us that he pours out kindness upon people, and his goal is... This is what the Bible teaches. The goal is, is that one day we would stop and say, oh my goodness, I've had so much goodness from the hand of God, and I don't even love him, serve him, or care for him. And it would lead you to change your mind about God. The goodness and kindness of God leads us to repentance, to have a change of mind, to change a heart about God. But it says, if you don't have a change of mind and heart about God, after he's poured out all this goodness upon you, the sun has risen, the rain has fallen on your fields, you've had all these wonderful things in life, here's what it says. I'm going to tell you the whole truth. It says this, that because of your stubborn and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself against the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You say, well, what's God demand of me? Here it is. Thank you for your kindness to me, regardless of how awful I've been to you. I changed my whole mind about you. Jesus, I, I love you. Come into my life. I give you my life. That's a a real tough thing, isn't it? And that's what God asks of you. Just be thankful. Call upon the Lord. So, God's blessed us in a lot of ways, even when we didn't deserve it, and that's God's goodness. 
So I want us to operate in this law of seed, time, and harvest in every area. I know the scriptures today were surrounding about money, but it operates in every area, which I mentioned, friendliness and mercy and, and other things. And so here's our assignment for the week. Make sowing and reaping work for you. You end up saying, I work around so many jerks at work. They're all mean. Go in there and start sowing kindness. Start sowing kindness. Say, how long do I have to do that? Forever. I've been doing that for two years and nothing's changed. You don't know what's changed in people's hearts, but keep doing it anyway. Because you know what? I would rather sow kindness and do it all my life and go meet the Lord and him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were kind to a bunch of jerks for your entire career. And enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So make sowing and reaping work for you. Give good things and plant good things for a harvest of good. There's a harvest of good coming. So what I want to happen is that our hearts begin to shift by how we're living in the love of God that all of a sudden we go, wow, I can't wait to reap what I sow. I can't wait to reap what I sow because I'm sowing good things. I want us to pray together.